It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own life. Beat it up and I've seen got no peace. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, the of the gangs and the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. The border trap is the ground with that low plane flying and up for overflow, punching in the corner, too, but it'll lose the devil, save the devil, world in your own knees. See your heart, tell me the surrender in the river with the right. You patriotic, patriotic, plan might right, might feel it, it's pretty It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. That's right, the mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones is right here on your radio dial, and this is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom! Oh, that's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a solemn second of sentience in a seditious world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones, sure enough, of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand post videos and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner, and I am also known as Nurse Amy. That's right. And together we are the dynamic duo, the prodigious pair, the spectacular spouses, the geezer and the goddess, and we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with an inebriated iguana? Well, Santa, keep the eggnog and rum away from those critters. You know, the truth of the matter is that our attorney says, don't call him, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Uh, But when modern medicine is a thing of the past due to a disaster, are you going to know what to do if somebody gets sick or injured? Come on, prove to me and the world that you've got more sense than a sack of snails by learning what to do for injuries and illness in times of trouble. Now, while you're at it, get some supplies and a quality medical kit maybe to go along with all that knowledge. What better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by yours truly, an honest-to-gosh medical doctor, and hers truly, an honest-to-gosh advanced registered (laughs) nurse practitioner. 
Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff. I dare you. Or just ask anyone who's ever bought one, and you'll agree our kits are the ones that you need in your medical storage. Hey, you know, we learn as much from you as you do from us, so take 10, Ogden, and reach out to old Dr. Bones and the lovely Nurse Amy. It's easy, and here is Nurse Amy to tell you how. Well, you can email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. You can also like and follow our Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, DR Bones and Nurse. Actually, just DR Bones, Nurse Amy. <laughs> <laughs> and our other podcast, American Survival Radio, all about current events. That is now broadcast from KPJC, Relevant News Talk Radio out of Salem, Oregon. Also, the Voice of Lubbock, Texas, Radio KRFE. KFAR, Fairbanks, Alaska, KIMB, Talk 365 Internet Radio, our good friends at the Prepper Broadcasting Network, and all the other great networks that follow our show. Hey, you know, we said we were going to take the week off, but we're here, and it's not only to celebrate the coming new year, but also to kick off our relationship with KYAH Radio in Utah. We know the folks in the Beehive State are dedicated preparedness folk, and we're here to fulfill our mission of helping to put a medically prepared person in every family. We hope you'll listen as we educate and entertain you, that is, edutain you, on the mysteries of austere medicine. So, who are we if you don't know? I am Joe Alton, MD, a medical doctor, fellow of the American College of Surgeons, the American College of OBGYN. This lovely person here is not only <laughs> an advanced registered nurse practitioner, but also a certified nurse midwife. And besides our website at doomandbloom.net, our radio shows, and our YouTube channel at DR Bones Nurse Amy, we've also been privileged to write for the likes of American Survival Guide, Survivor's Edge, Backwoods Home, Prepare, The Daily Caller, Intellectual Conservative, uh, Lou Rockwell, uh, Joe for America, among others. Our website at doomandbloom.net won the Reader's Choice Award for Top Survival Website at survivaltop50.com. Our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way, won this year's Book Excellence Award in the category of medicine. So if you haven't heard of us, well, pleased to meet you, and we hope that this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Quick update on the wildfires in California. The Golden State, boy, has had a hell of a season with regards to wildfires. Usually this is over in October or November, still having a number of fires in January. Absolutely. You know what would have been a great Christmas for them? What? A torrential downflow. Yeah. yeah. If they, if they Thunderstorms. Some, right. Maybe yeah. even a little bit of a flood. Not that hurts anybody or washes homes away, but just, you know, soak the ground really well. I, I think that, that would have been the Merry Christmas for them. That would have been. But, boy, I'll tell you, it is just dry country. Crazy. And even El Nino, which gave them some relief uh, from their years-long drought in uh, over the winter uh-huh. uh, last year, it didn't really do much for them uh, with regards to stopping fires. Matter of fact, the Thomas Fire in Southern California has become now the largest in the state's history. Although now it's about eighty-five percent contained. Do you know why they call it the Thomas Fire? It's in an area called Thomas. Oh, that's right. I was just wondering if Thomas set the fire. Oh, 
No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, seriously. Thomas, like, if Fred, Thomas this is the Fred fire, or, or this is the, you know, <laughs> Sarah Albertson fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it just kind of sounds like someone's name. <laughs> well, if Thomas set the fire. I get it, though, Thomas. I hope that he burns in hell, boy, yeah. I'll tell you. Because that fire has <clears throat> taken out 280,000 acres of forest and more than 1,000 homes, killed two people, including a firefighter. And it's still threatening thousands of homes, even even though it's just a remnant of what it previously was. California has lost 3 million acres of forest to wildfires over the last decade or so. So it's good to see that this one at least is mostly under control and that hopefully there will be no more wildfire news oh my for gosh. a good long while. Well, when does their rainy season start up again? I don't know that well, they have don't, a rainy season. Right. I don't think they have a rainy season. You know, we season. have a rainy season in South Florida. We can pretty much count come, what, mid-May? Yes. Sometimes a little later, sometimes a little bit earlier, but somewhere around mid-May, we start raining almost every day. The rain comes. We live in yep. South Florida, for those of you who haven't heard us before, and the clouds form over the Everglades and come out. Towards the beach, actually. Right. I don't think they ever make it to the beach, but they dump all their rain on, on our us. development. <laughs> right, which we're is right, great for right our by the plants. Yes. Our, our fruits right by and the vegetables yeah. are very happy about that. Yeah, so it is one of those things. So they don't have a rainy season. They, They're just lucky if they get anything. I don't think they have a, a season where they have a lot of rain. So I don't know. It seems to me... I think they're one of those artificial things that the place became really populated at all. I think their yearly average is what minus three inches. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it can't be an average. I'm joking. <laughs> but it sure seems like it. You never hear, oh, California got this great rain today. I know. It is pretty amazing, although they do have the Sierra Nevada mountains, and mm-hmm. you would think that some of those areas would get a lot of snowfall. And when that snow melts, you would think that that would translate into lots of water. But I don't know the area that well, honestly. I don't. Yeah. I'm, I haven't been on the West Coast. California is. Except um, for Oregon and uh, Washington for, gosh, more than a decade. You know, if you're looking for a good place to live, I think a great source of fresh water is probably tops on the list. Yes. And so I'm not sure California would be on anyone's list for a great place to live. Well, it's the weather. It's nice and warm there. Most of the sunny. That's why they call it sunny California. I know, but. It's so sunny that there's not a lot of rain. No agua. (laughs) Okay, now in other news relating to four children were killed uh, while a number of others are fighting for their lives after a massive fire broke out, sure enough, in New York City in an apartment building. Now, although the circumstances are unclear so far, maybe a gas leak, it made me think about what you should do in building fires to protect your family. Mm -hmm. So if your house is on fire or if you're in an apartment building, your apartment's on fire uh, or or somewhere in the building is on fire, what do you do? Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because just when we were in uh, New York City visiting my daughter, they had a fire that actually had some fatalities. I think the mother and two of the children passed away. And then there was another one very recently, like maybe yesterday or something. Yep, I wrote an article also about another fire right in that same area uh, a couple of years ago, too. So it just seems... Very scary. Like uh, there's a lot of old buildings there and gas leaks and frayed electrical cords and stuff. This and, And certainly having the heat high up 
that has got to be an issue. And some of these heaters, these floor heaters, are not safe. Or they're really old and maybe the wires are frayed. I mean, there's all kinds of dangers. Be super careful about the type of floor heater that you buy. And always check the wires. Yes. Always, always. And never, ever use a flame to heat the inside of a house. Unless you have a real fireplace. Uh, Well, yeah. Okay. If you have a fireplace. (laughs) (laughs) But I would still watch out for it because, you know, things can. Sure. Embers from it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You still want to be careful. Well, this particular fire in this apartment building Uh took more than 170 firefighters to take care of it. They called it a four-alarm fire, and it was located in a five-story walk-up in the Bronx, just a block from the world-famous Bronx Zoo. There was actually no elevator in the building. That's why they called it a walk-up. But all floors actually had outside fire escapes, so it's a wonder why people didn't try to utilize those. Uh, The firefighters actually, uh, you have to congratulate the firefighters, the first of them, Arrived in just three minutes. Good work, wow. guys. And they worked to battle That's the blaze. incredible. Yeah, they, they had to battle that blaze in temperatures of 15 degrees or so. So oh, that my is gosh. an incredible above and beyond the call of duty gu- duties, guys. The people killed ranged from just one-year-old to more than 63. And some have yet to be identified. There are dozens of other victims that were rescued. Uh, with injuries, they are expected to recover, thank goodness. Now, I bet you don't know what the number of alarms assigned to a fire mean. Now, one alarm, two alarm, three alarm fires. Now, this is actually a four alarm fire. <laughs> four alarm, you know, wow. They're categories of fires, and they indicate the level of response by local authorities. The more vehicles and firefighters that respond, the higher the alarm designation. So the Probably the term multiple alarm is a better way of indicating that a fire is severe and hard to control because everybody has their own idea of what a two alarm, a three alarm is. Uh, A common misconception is that, let's say, a three alarm fire means that three firehouses responded to the fire. But that's not the rule behind the way they name it. Although some cities could use the number of firehouses responding uh, because maybe it's a less complex way to assign an alarm number. But... It's really not that. The most widely used formula for these multi-alarm designations is based on the number of units, fire trucks, for example, and firefighters responding to a fighter. The problem with that even is Mm -hmm. that the term unit isn't standardized, so it could be anything from a tanker or ladder truck to just an ambulance rescue vehicle or even just the car driven by the fire chief to go take a look, supervise or hang out or inspect the scene. <clears throat> that what I do know is that the initial dispatch for help is often referred to as a first alarm, and that's tip makes sense sense right. right. It's typically the largest um, response comes from that, and subsequent alarms call for additional units, usually because the fire has grown, and additional resources are needed to combat it or maybe to replace exhausted firefighters. So. Every year, thousands of people are killed or injured in fires in the United States, and many of these deaths and injuries could be prevented with a little knowledge of the nature of fire. You have to understand a few things, and, and these are important. Number one is that most people who die in fires don't die because of burns as much as from suffocation, asphyxiation due to smoke inhalation. Fire consumes available oxygen, that you need to breathe. And so it not only is there 
smoke, harm other harmful gases, but there's less oxygen because the fire is taking it up. Inhalation of just a small amount of all of these things, the harmful gases and smoke can disorient you, can affect your ability to respond appropriately. And even if there's just a little smoke, these gases could be invisible and odorless. Not only that, but people are scared to death. I mean, you have fear and stress added in with this inability to see clearly. I mean, that's that's totally disorienting. Absolutely. And and that is one of the major things is that they don't make the right decisions in a very critical situation. Right. Now, there are some people who die in bed that appeared not to have woken up at all, and that usually is because they were overcome by smoke and uh, other toxic gases before they were able to wake up and actually cause them to be un- be deeply unconscious. Now, that all of this doesn't mean that these bodies don't have burns on them. They mo- oftentimes do have a lot of burns, but you have to realize that the burns are oftentimes not the cause of death. Another thing to think about, number two, is mm-hmm. that fire spreads rapidly, that a small fire can go out of control in less than a minute if it's not extinguished fast. Many house fires occur at night when everybody's asleep, making it possible for smoke and flames to engulf an entire building before you're even aware of it. And sometimes rooms combust all at once. They just boom. And that's a phenomenon that they call flashover. And also there's another phenomenon called backdraft. Now, if you open a hot door, that can cause a a very hot door. It can cause a fire effect called a backdraft, and that is similar to actually an explosion. It's a pretty amazing things that fire does, uh, especially if it's under pressure or it, if it's looking for a source of oxygen. Well, I have a question. Wasn't there a movie called Backdraft? Yes, that, that was, actually illustrated. Yes, exactly you what actually you're saw about. that right. exact thing uh, occur <clears throat> in me. occur in that movie. Uh, of three, the environment in a fire is likely to be dark. You may not expect that. You usually expect, you know, well, the flames are causing brightness, light, brightness, brightness right? Bright sure. light, sure. But indeed, the the smoke that's generated by the fire is oftentimes black, and that can easily make it impossible to see clearly, as well as cause eye irritation, which also affects your vision. And so all of this leads to confusion as to where, where the best avenues of escape might be, and you might wind up not being able to find an appropriate exit. Now, you should also realize that fire, that this is number four, heat from a fire can burn you even if you're in a room that's not on fire itself because you can breathe in superheated air and that can burn your lung tissue and can cause a major burn inside you internally that's more fatal than burns on the skin would be. And so I've written about smoke inhalation. You can find my articles on that at doomandbloom.net. But this is a major issue. It's not just the nature of the smoke, but it's the fact that the the air is superheated. Now, also speaking about superheated air, hot air rises, and most people understand this concept, but maybe not the extremes that you would experience in an actual building fire. Air that's just hot at floor level becomes much hotter at eye level. And that's why if you're trying to make your way out of a building, you should always stay close to the floor. You'll be less likely to breathe in superheated air or or wind up getting burnt. So that's something that's important. And number six, 
that people unwittingly feed fires by keeping flammables cluttered around the house. My goodness, you may have a lot of stuff around the house that is flammable. And if that's the case, well, you are just making your own fire trap. Take a look at what you got around there. See if you really need to have those old newspapers around or old boxes uh, or a gas can full of gas. You you should have some something like that stored away for fuel, but you have to be very careful about the way you store it and whether you put it anywhere near other stuff that could easily combust. So what do you do if you find yourself caught in a house fire? Well, one thing that you should do right at the very beginning is make it clear to everyone there's a fire. Hit the fire alarm or, or gosh, yell fire, at least. You should have previously identified, of course, a couple of exits, conducted fire drills with your family so they know exactly what to do in a fire. There are lots of different ways to get in trouble, and one of them is not having a plan of action with regards to getting out of the house. Now, so get out fast as soon as it's clear that you can't put out the fire easily with your fire extinguisher. And by the way, you should have more than one placed in areas that are susceptible Don't wait to grab personal items. You might only have a few seconds to get out of there. So get down low, crawl to an exit so that you're least exposed to heat and smoke. Cover your nose and mouth with a cloth, if at all possible. Just a quick clarification. Uh, Should you have that cloth wet or is dry better? I don't think it's a big deal whether that is wet or not. But I will say this, that the wool blanket, if you have a wool blanket around you, do not wet that because that's going to conduct heat much more quickly than a dry blanket, and that could easily burn you. Okay. So uh, it's over your over your mouth itself, especially if you're holding it over your mouth. I, it doesn't matter whether it's wet or dry. I okay. would think it would take more time to wet it, go find something right. to wet it with, than it would be wise to take. Right. You know, you want to get out of that the building other, as soon as possible. Absolutely. The other thing I'm thinking about is um, a wet cloth is harder to breathe through. So with already having smoke around, maybe a dry cloth is better just for a little filtration, almost like having a face mask, like a surgical mask right. is dry. Right. The bottom line is it just doesn't <clears> – <throat> it seems to me that you should get out of the building as quickly as you can. Do whatever you can. And, get and out, right. Get out and I, just making an extra step to go to a faucet and wet a cloth, you know, I, it seems to me that it's more than what you should be right. doing. You are absolutely uh, things that are very important also, if if you're going out and through the door, then touch the doorknob to test them before you open it. Remember, if the doorknob is very, very hot, then you should leave it closed and pick another exit. Otherwise, you may wind up in a backdraft situation. The whole room may combust or you may explode. Uh, the room may explode. Uh, if the door isn't hot, though, you can open it slowly and then close it if fire or heavy smoke is present. Of course, once you get out of the house, call 911 uh, if, if you have emergency services available to you. If you're missing someone, tell the firefighters where they might be located in the building. Same with pets. But I have to say that being a hero and returning to a burning building to search for someone, well, sure, it's heroic, but it's also extremely dangerous. So you have to be very, very diligent about being safe when, if you consider doing that, and I would recommend not doing that. Now, if you're trapped in the building, of course, and you need to close the door, cover any possible avenue for the fire to enter, such as things like vents, 
uh, and spaces between the door and the walls. Uh, if you can communicate with firefighters, let them know when you are, where you are, either by cell phone or by signaling for help from a window. Windows should not be secured in a fashion that prevents opening them in an emergency. That's very, very important. If someone catches fire, of course, you've learned when you were young, probably, to stop, drop, and roll. That is still an appropriate way to deal with being on fire or being exposed to fire. Whatever happens, if someone catches fire, you got to stop them immediately, drop them to the ground, roll until the fire is out. Smother the flames with the towel or a blanket if, if at all possible and remove burned clothing as soon as you can. Now, many deaths and injuries from fires, they're preventable with a little planning, a little quick action. Be aware of the fire hazards in your home. Work to eliminate them before a disaster strikes. Hey, we talk about medical preparedness as if you should know what that means. But what does that mean, actually? Medical preparedness refers to the ability of a group of people to deal with sickness and injuries in tough times. And, of course, anyone wishing to survive first has to have some of the very basics. They have to have food. They have to have water. They have to have a shelter of some sort. Certainly, you want to have a full stomach and you want to have some protection from the elements. These have got to be important priorities. So what after that, what after food, water, and shelter should be next on your list? Well, after gathering food and building a shelter, a lot of people that are well-prepared consider personal and home defense to be the most important priority in the event of a natural or a man-made disaster. Of course, there is an imperative to defend one's family, right? And you shouldn't ignore that, but it's got to be understood that a bullet can cause a wound, but it cannot heal one. Therefore, you need a strategy to deal with illness and injury and give the community the best chance to survive. Let's face it, in a situation where power might be down and normal methods of filtering water, cleaning food don't exist, your health is as much under attack as the survivors in a zombie apocalypse movie. I got to tell you that infectious diseases are going to be rampant in a situation where it's going to be a challenge to maintain sanitary conditions. Well, this and that only makes sense. Right? Exactly. Absolutely. Well, the problem with sanitary conditions is we are used to having showers, having running water and having a sewer system that takes away our human waste. All the bad stuff. Oh, right? way far away from us. And that's not going to happen in some sort of grid down or, or zombie apocalypse, which, you know, that's, of course, a fairy tale. But it's just a, a catch-all for a man-made or human disasters. Um, so, or I should say nature disasters. So what people need to understand is, yes, it's about the food. It's about the water and protection and, and also medical, which is what we talk about a lot. But... These sanitary conditions, people need to think about how far away they need to put their waste, how deep they're going to need to bury this, and how often they need to actually change the location. Right. How many people are they going to be dealing with right. uh, with regards to having to dispose of waste? Right. How many people are in that group that you're disposing the waste of? And also, another thing is when it rains... Is anything in that location carried to 
your freshwater right, source. Your, right. It has to be at least 200 feet away. Right. And you want it downhill, not uphill, <laughs> near your right. water source. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to think about. You're absolutely as right. As far as sanitation goes. You're absolutely right. Uh, we have to also realize that there are simple activities of daily survival, like, <clears throat> let's say, chopping wood for fuel, that could lead to all sorts of wounds. Uh, many of them will be minor wounds, but... Forget it. I'll be lucky without... if I don't chop a finger <laughs> off. <laughs> you, if I get sent out to gather the wood for the day, I'll come back with some wood, but I may also have a couple fingers in that wood pile right. well, or my toes. Well, That's... that might be actually still be considered a minor wound <laughs> in that kind of situation. That's true. That's so true. You, you could to... slash your right. leg pretty right. badly. But any even minor wounds... In a situation where you can't depend on proper sanitation, well, you know what? They could get infected and become worse issues. Of course. What if I come back? Let's say I just cut myself, you know, and I was out there for a few hours. I didn't have time or I didn't have water nearby to wash myself. Water is very important. We're not just going to throw it around. Like, here, take an extra gallon with you. And I come back. What if we don't have... You know, enough water. People are drinking drops of water to to say, oh, well, let's use this spare half gallon to wash her wound. That might not be available. I right. mean, it's very not scary. Yeah. Exactly. And if you can't wash that wound, that is a whole. You're likely to get whole get infected. Big Absolutely. Sure. And so these are issues that are with, with modern sanitary conditions and with modern medical science. Uh, these people don't think about don't it so become life threatening. Yeah, you know if you don't treat them, perhaps <clears throat> uh, as long as you're able to keep them clean. Don't... I just want to say I apologize for our gravelly voices. We don't usually sound like this, but we got something <laughs> when we went to visit my daughter in New York City. And I, I think I'm sorry, honey. I may have given it to you a little bit. Oh, so, I'm fine. Our voices are not normally gravelly, and we're not normally clearing our yes. throat so much so our voices are normally melodious and harmonious <laughs> yeah I, I you know what when we're done i will make you a nice cup of hot tea with lemon and some oh, raw honey awesome and i will make myself a nice cup of herbal tea with lemon and honey very nice and then we'll feel better you know when we first started writing about preparedness we watched this history channel special called after armageddon Oh, yes, yes. In that program, uh, a family escapes some society-ending disaster, I forget what it was, and takes up with a survival community. I forget what it is. Let me look that up. And the father of this family, he's a paramedic. He takes over the role of medic for the group, but he didn't bring a lot of his own medicines. So he takes a look at what's there, and it's not a heck of a lot. And he winds up, of course, you can't just be the medic. You have to go ahead and uh, chop some wood and and garden and do some other things, too. He managed to injure himself doing something he wasn't accustomed to. And sure enough, he noticed that it was becoming infected. And the problem is, is that he looked through all the storage and he found there was absolutely no antibiotic there. Well, he did have an assistant. And he went to see that assistant who had the the medications that day. Remember, he went to talk to him. And he said, you know, I need something. And the guy said, I'm, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. Well, sure it was enough. after a flu pandemic. Oh, OK. So it killed was... half the people on Earth. Wow. Was the. All right. So that was docudrama, the premise. Drama, they call it docudrama. Yeah, docudrama. So anyhow, he wound up not having the medicine that he needed. He's a medical guy. He knows exactly what's wrong. If he just had some antibiotics, he can cure himself. But instead, 
He just watched himself get worse and worse, and he died after three or four weeks. So, so horrible. This is uh, one of the <clears throat> preventable type deaths that can occur in a survival setting, and that's why we recommend being medically prepared. We'll yes. talk a lot more about that later. Now, Absolutely. It's a sad story, but you know what? It is. The sad. The sad. I did still. not. I have to say, I did not expect them to kill off. He the was main, the, like the main character. Yeah, he was the main character. You don't usually see a main character pass away at the end of a movie. Yeah, it's pretty sad. That was really awful. Well, anyhow, sadder still is that most folks out there consider themselves well-prepared, but they've done little to consider health issues in times of trouble. And, you know, there are accomplished outdoorsmen. They'll have all this food put away. They'll have, of course, all their their share of defensive weaponry. But few wilderness folks, even experts, would have the knowledge and supplies to deal with medical problems they would encounter if left to their own devices. And if so, even if they have it, not enough to deal with other people's medical problems as well. Maybe they have enough to deal with one bleeding wound, maybe one infection, things like that, but not something that would allow them to become a medic for a group or a family. If you were left to your own devices in a disaster or some other issue, Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, would you be? Would you have the knowledge and supplies? Could you handle the job of being a medic? I think the, that's a good question to that, ask yourself. Right. And not only ask yourself, but but find out if the people who are your neighbors and people that you're close to, if they've thought about it too. Right. Well, that's the thing. You know, hey guys, what happens if there's a disaster? You know, we're all going to congregate together because we've known each other for 20 years or we're family. We're going to be a group or we're part of a church or part of, you know, some sort of group. Um, how are we going to feed ourselves? How, do we have enough medical supplies to take care of whatever injuries? Like you said, there is definitely going to be more than, you know, if you take up a week of injuries for the group, you know, maybe somebody cut themselves in the kitchen, you know, stubbed their toe, maybe sprained an ankle. You know, probably not too major. But in a situation where there's so much more physical activity occurring, you I mean, more you, injuries. You can't sure. right. You can't you can't equate it. Absolutely. There's so much unknown. You have to be. I hate to say, it, but you really have to be over prepared for what you expect because there's probably much more that's going to happen. Well, it's just than logical. You're thinking. It's just logical that if you're knocked off the grid for any reason, that that's going to put the health of your entire family or mutual assistance group, if you have one, at risk. It's just, again, just logical to seek education and training so that you can be able to deal with some of these issues. And it's good to have training for yourself, but I know we've talked about this before. You want to make sure that other people have at least some of that knowledge or at least a book, and I know a great book, the Survival Medicine Handbook, you might want to have. Available on Amazon. Shameless plug. Right. Shameless plug. But at least have that book available and have passed on some of that knowledge that you may have taken the responsibility for, but there could be a time when the medic needs a medic. That's exactly Or a nurse needs a nurse or you, a doctor, needs a nurse. (laughs) I'm not going to say another doctor. (laughs) I'm not going back to school, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the fact is that the caretaker can get sick to don't make don't make your specialty so um, secluded and you know secret. Share 
basic Share the first knowledge. aids. Exactly. Share the knowledge. Have little classes. Okay, guys, we're going to talk about, I mean, it could be something part of of a meeting. You know, let's talk about how to wrap an ankle when it gets sprained. It doesn't always have to be blood and guts. Most of what's going to happen to people are going to be viruses or skin infections or, or, or little cuts or burns. It's not going right. You're not, going to expect simple things right. to be the type of injuries that right. you're going to have to deal with Which on, means a, you don't have on a daily to be basis. A surgeon to be able to take care of these exactly. things. Exactly. And and there are going to be a lot of things that are not injuries <clears throat> at all. The truth of the matter is is what people expect are gunshot wounds, right. from, you know, gunfights at the blood o- everywhere, okay corral, right? Like stuff. these horror movies, right? But the more, more more likely is going to be dehydration from, let's say, diarrheal oh, yeah, diarrheal disease mention, due to right? contaminated food and contaminated True. water, uh, and you're going to see that more regularly than gunfights at the OK Corral, or at least I hope I hope so. If you're seeing more gunfights, leave. Then, then leave. You're in the wrong part of town. Exactly. exactly. I think there's an example of of this exact situation, the Civil War, which did have a lot of blood and guts. Right. But what a- actually killed more people was Mr. dysentery. Teacher. Was dysentery, dehydration from all sorts of infectious diseases. I just want to be clear about what cholera he just said. Mm-hmm. Listen, folks. In the Civil War, guns were pointed at each other. Cannons were going off. But more people died from dysentery, diarrhea, severe diarrhea and dehydration than those cannons and those bullets or or being stuck. I think they also had the bayonets on the end of their muskets and, you know, I mean, and, and those people were actually always trying to kill each other. So the fact that more people died from dysentery is just so obvious that that what we think is going to kill us or hurt us or be an injury or illness is probably not bloody. Right. That's that's exactly right. And you have to know how to put together a good sick room in case of of infectious disease so you can keep the... Sick people recovering while keeping them away from the healthy people so and you don't have more sick people exactly. to deal with. And limit the number of people who are actually going in to take care of those in sick people. Make sure that whoever is going in to feed the soup or refill the water or maybe, you know, get the sheets so those sheets can be washed. You want to keep these people clean. I'm going to keep them on nice sheets and, you know, make sure it's aerated. But that you don't have... 10 people doing that. You want to have a rotation of maybe three or four so that the the number of, of possible future ill people is limited to just the caretakers. And they need to wash their hands. They need to wear masks if possible and make sure that they know what they're touching and whether that sick person touched that item also. So you yep. have to be super careful. So anyhow, there's beans and bullets, and then there's beans and bullets and Band-Aids. And so don't forget the Band-Aids. That's important. So I, I think m- we've emphasized this pretty well. I think those that are listening for the first time are are starting to say, you know what, you're right. I might have a bunch of food and 
Maybe I have some personal protection items. Maybe even they thought about solar and flashlights and lighting and and shelter. If they've done that, they've taken a real first step towards assuring their family's survival. Grab, um, I don't want to diss any big box stores, but they grab something off the shelf that happens to say first aid kit on it. And trust me, folks, that's just not enough. If you scrape your knee... At a playground, you know, your kid gets injured or you hurt yourself a little bit. That might be okay, but that is not going to be the kit that you want in something serious or something that lasts, you know, more than a week or so. Right, and just one kit is probably not enough if you're considering a possible long-term survival event. You have to think about out there whether you are really – in the belief that some long-term event is possible. If sure. that's the case, then you have to have more supplies than just for that one incident of, incident of bleeding or one orthopedic injury or even one uh, illness. You Absolutely. really have to have plenty of supplies. Again, Remember, those supplies will always be there if something happens. You know, Most of them don't expire. Um We've talked about, you know, creams don't last quite as long as pills and liquid doesn't last as long as pills. So if you can get something in solid form, take, for instance, Claritin. Tablets or capsules. You know, get tablets or capsules if you're talking about ibuprofen or Tylenol. You know, get the solid state. (laughs) Right. It's like your memory in your computer. Get the solid state. You know, it's going to last a lot longer than any of those liquids. Um, but most medical supplies, you know, gauze and Band-Aids, ACE bandages, these things just really don't have an expiration date. Now, if you put them out in the hot sun and they get a little sticky, they're that, not going to work as well, but it didn't completely ruin them. That's that's right. So the bottom line is that if you can get some knowledge, you get some supplies, the supplies, most of them will be just fine even years from now. Right. And the knowledge that you gain, well, that's going to be there for the rest of your life. That's right. And so that's important. You have to realize that you've got a lot of longevity built into bandages and a lot of that's other right. medical supplies. And that's one of the factors that will give you confidence when you move forward to be totally medically self-reliant. And also... They can be barter items. Let's say you did go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and bought, you know, a house full of medical supplies. If something does happen, those medical supplies can be traded. Yes. For food, for seeds, for flashlights, for batteries, because there are going to be people who are going to be hurt or sick and who are going to be begging to have some of those. And I'm not saying to buy a house full of medical supplies. <laughs> and I do also, besides the book that I did mention, the Survival Medicine Handbook, pretty much, folks, every word that's in that book, and a whole lot more, actually, is on our website. We have that book put together because if you have a grid-down situation, you aren't going to be able to read doomandbloom.net. You can now, and feel free to, but the knowledge that's in the book book form, the paperback book, is something you could put on a shelf. Hopefully you'll read it, but you could put it on a shelf and you can refer to it when there is a time when there's no electricity, but someone's hurt or sick or not feeling well, and you need to figure out what's going on. So 
that knowledge is completely free online. It's just if you want that backup, that solid state <laughs> memory, it's in a book form. And, and that's why we, we made the book. That really is truly why we did it. That's exactly right because almost everything in it is word for word. in Everything is completely free on our website That's at doomandbloom.net. Right. We don't hide anything. There's no magic information. I would say I probably have a better medical supply list in the book, but that would be like one of the only things. I just never took that, and it's so long. So <laughs> and that, actually made an article about it completely. And the truth <laughs> of the matter is, is that you can barter that knowledge. I mean, if you learn That's right. from our book and for, or from other sources – you know, how to deal with medical issues, uh -huh. then you will have an important skill that if people in your area realize that you have not only medical supplies, but the knowledge on how to use them appropriately, right? well, you know what? They're gonna, they might give you some eggs. Yeah, they'll or spend a side of beef or, or some bacon. Right, or they'll, exp <laughs> right, right, or they'll exp expend their resources to protect you. Yes, you know, because you're that important. So that's sure. something that I think is much more useful and sought after than other barter items. Like, let's say, bars of gold uh, won't be very useful when currencies are... aren't aren't around. Then also, I will have to say, in in if we really had like something major happen, like a really bad EMP, and and then really something that kind of you know made the world have total chaos who knows a solar flare that affected like the whole world um money and currency could end up being you know i don't know chickens or right or, or oh, eggs uh, they or, they certainly or a won't, cow they probably won't know? be shiny pieces of metal no, and right. they probably you can't eat it <laughs> now a lot of survivalists believe that ammunition is the ultimate barter item but there's Going to be a lot of people with ammunition. They're going to have a lot of ability to make wounds, uh -huh. but they're not going to have a lot of supplies on how to treat wounds. So you're going to have a lot of people that are going to have the ability to to make wounds, but very few that can heal wounds. And so if you can be one of those people, then it is, will be not only good for your family and good for your community, but you can be a important resource for the entire area. Absolutely. Now, of course, when I say to get medical knowledge, I'm also encouraging you to learn about natural remedies, alternative therapies that might have some benefit for a particular medical problem. Uh, you have to realize that even if you accumulate a stockpile of medicines, if the disaster lasts long enough, well, sure enough, you're going to expend all of them at one point or another. So you might consider natural products you know our our family has an extensive medical herb medicinal herb garden that, that might be a good idea for everyone else's gardens to have some as well absolutely know? right now currently i have a bruise on my ankle and what did i send you out to the garden to get some comfrey leaves comfrey leaves that's right and what did i do with them made a poultice i made a poultice out of it sure i enough. i put them in a blender with just a little bit of distilled water and took it out, put it in a bowl, and added flour until it was thick. Regular plain uh -huh. flour. <laughs> flour. <laughs> and then I took gauze squares, and I took a spatula, and I just smoothed out little sections of the comfrey on the gauze. 
I put some of them in the freezer and I have one wrapped around my ankle and it's supposed to help heal um, bruising. bruising and it's yeah. an anti-inflammatory. Now, one thing about comfrey is you're not supposed to put on open wounds. So if you have a cut and you've hurt yourself and there's an open wound, don't put the comfrey you're on. You're not supposed to ingest it either. But I have it intact. Oh. I have intact skin and I right. have a bruise and I have it wrapped around there as a poultice. That's so we we do, and we talked about tea. Afterwards, we're going to have some uh, right. herbal tea with right. some lemon. Exactly. We actually are growing lemons. We're, that's one thing we're lucky about. Yeah, South down Florida. here in Florida. Right? Can't grow a lot of stuff that you guys grow up north, like lavender. I'm so jealous about lavender and garlic. But I can grow um, lots, a lot of lots things. Of yeah, lots of citrus. So we have lemons and raw honey. Everyone should have raw honey in their house. We could talk about that. And that lasts a good medicine. long time. That's a that has real longevity as a medical supply. Never and, expires. Right. Yeah. So, folks, I know it, again we're referring a little bit to our new listeners in Utah, but for you new listeners in Utah, we have hundreds of shows. When I say hundreds, I'm serious. Of this so, is show by the way. This is show number 370. Right. On Blog Talk, look for the Survival Medicine Hour. And uh, you can also find it on iTunes. And, and at doomandbloom.net. And please visit doomandbloom.net. Again, you will be slightly overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a store if you're looking for little items or kits that you would like to have. Um and they're very detailed with their lists, and that's store.doomandbloom.net. But if you go to doomandbloom.net, it will take you to our Facebook, to our YouTube channel. We have almost 200 videos on there. Right. We're getting there. I'm, I'm going to put up another one soon. So lots of knowledge and information for you folks to, to read and listen and watch. Right. And I suggest doing some of that now. Get that knowledge. Start getting some experience working a garden, that's important. You certainly don't want to have your first experience when you actually need some medical supply, oh, medical medicinal herb, or you need some food. Uh, you don't want to have your first experience trying to put together a to garden. garden there. No. There's a learning curve, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Take it from us. We're master gardeners for the state of Florida. You start so. looking and you say, well, there's two or three different little critters on this plant what are they and how do i kill them <laughs> so anyhow it's important to understand that some illnesses are going to be difficult to treat if modern medical facilities aren't available i admit that you should understand that too it's not going to be easy to take care of somebody with clogged coronary arteries not you're not going to be able to perform a cardiac bypass certainly but if you can get your people eating healthily now and store food that will give them good nutrition. You'll give yourself the best chance to minimize some major medical issues. In a survival setting, you have to remember an ounce of prevention is worth not a pound, but a ton of cure. So start off healthy and you'll have the best chance to stay healthy. Also, make sure your people always use eye protection, hand protection, put a good, good boots when they're doing strenuous exercise, that's important. Yep. Now, all none of the stuff that we're telling you is new or novel. Your ancestors included as part of their strategy to succeed in life. And, you know, if something really happens, we may be thrown back in a lot of ways, maybe all the way back to the 19th century. So there are lessons to be learned by the methods they used to stay healthy, and we'll try to impart some of those in our shows as well. 
Well, we are just about out of time. We have a lot to teach you. We're going to be going over a lot of different topics. I hope that you will tune in to the Survival Medicine Hour. And we are here to impart as much of our medical knowledge to you as possible and to give your family the best chance to survive in bad times or good. Stay warm and see you next time. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.